Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. We have added a way for our listeners who would like to support the podcast to do so. We love our coffee, so you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash practical prep and buy us a cup of coffee. That's buymeacoffee.com slash practical prep. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast today. We're glad you stopped by. We appreciate you taking your time to visit with us on the podcast. And we hope that today's information gives you some information that you can hopefully never have to use, but will have in the toolbox if you need it. Our topic today is rather disturbing, and it's disturbing because of what we're seeing across the United States as well as across the world. Now, we're talking about surviving an active shooter. The folks that do all the research and compile all of this and set many of the policies and things are changing the terminology from active shooter to active killer and active attacker. And one of the reasons that that is being done is not all of these attacks are being done with firearms. We've seen across the world where there are machete attacks of multiple people. We've seen across the world where there are knife attacks. All types of things there, but We're going to be dealing with mass shootings or mass killings, and we'll interchange those words. Part of that is from force of habit, and part of that is some of the literature that is still there today that has not yet been updated. Chris, just so folks understand, define mass shootings for us. Well, according to those that uh, have created a definition, a mass shooting is defined as four or more people who are injured or killed, not counting the attacker. And so when we hear of these news reports where, uh, let's say, two are killed and six are injured, that would be considered a mass shooting event because it qualifies under the definition of mass shootings. I was in a class this last week that looked at active shooters, particularly in school settings, because this was a school shooting class that I happened to be in. But we began to research more and more about the active shootings and the active killings. And one of the things, just to make you aware, now in the United States, today we're recording this on June the 15th. As of today, there have been 255 shootings, specifically shootings. This is not knife attacks. This is not uh, machete attacks. This is not bombings. These are 255 mass shootings in the United States in 2021. 
You heard that right, 255. Now, is that is that victims that have died? No, Explain. that's 255 or that events? incidents, incidents in oh, which dear, four or more were injured or killed. Wow. Now, in doing this research, and uh, to be honest, I looked at so much data that it became overwhelming and depressing, mm-hmm. to be honest. Now, in doing this, in looking at the a comprehensive list of every mass shooting in the United States in 2021. I went through and I ignored gang shootings. I ignored thugs being thugs. And I ignored old-fashioned shootouts between groups. Mm-hmm. I looked specifically uh, at not the norm, not the everyday uh, we see gang-type shootings, and we see retribution and gang fights and shootouts between two motorcycle clubs or something. I did not take into account into this particular podcast if the fight broke out in the apartment parking lot or if it was in a house. Some of these involved domestic violence. Some of these involved people shooting their entire family. And I took those out because those do not fit with the subject that we intend to cover tonight. But what we did find is found shootings in schools, in workplaces, in grocery stores, in shopping malls, in nightclubs, convenience stores, restaurants, motels, a health care clinic. Get this, a gun store. That guy was taken out by folks inside the store. Is that right? Uh, A bowling alley, a car wash, a number of gas stations, a massage parlor, and a number of other businesses. Do you go to any of those places? I think we all do. At some point, every one of us goes to at least one of these places in the normal course of our life. And just to give you a sampling of the data... I'm going to outline some of the actual events and the details of those events just to kind of get your head wrapped around the severity and the seriousness of this topic. Now, understand that she's going to go through this list or part of this list, and we may elaborate on some of that. But what we're doing is making the point that the threat is there. And then we're going to talk about how to survive some of these issues, whether it's active killers with firearms, machetes, um, jokingly say sometimes machine guns, machetes, and hand grenades. But sadly, that could be a possibility today. Go through some of this, explain some of these that we're talking about. Okay, and to my knowledge, all of these are strictly in America. These are in America These are all in 2021. Okay, in the month of March, a grocery store shooting took place in Boulder, Colorado. It left 10 dead. In the month of April, in Indianapolis, Indiana, in the FedEx facility, there was an active killer that left eight dead. There were seven reported shootings, mass shootings. Now, these are mass shootings. These are not just individuals. This is not one, two, or three. Right. This is four or more people killed or injured in the same shooting. So there were seven of these reported on May the 1st. 
There were five of these the following day, May the 2nd. On May the 4th, we actually had a good day. No mass shootings were reported on that day. On May 30th, in Hialeah, Florida, three dead and 20 injured as the result of an active killer. Three of these active killers got out of a vehicle. They opened fire on a billiards club. They were using rifles and handguns. Last week, a 55-year-old shot and killed a one-year-old child and his grandmother in a grocery store and then turned the gun on himself. Five days ago, on June the 10th, dozens of gunshots were uh, heard in a mall in Morrow, Georgia. One was injured. Three days ago, on Saturday, June the 12th, there was a multi-victim shooting in downtown Austin, Texas. It left one dead and 13 injured. Also on June the 12th in Chicago, there was one dead and nine injured. On June the 12th, same, same day, day, Cleveland, Ohio, three dead, four injured. And two days ago, June the 13th, in the Lenox Mall in Atlanta, Georgia, a security guard was shot and is left in critical condition. Yesterday, June the 14th, in Decatur, Georgia, a 30-year-old shot and killed a cashier in a grocery store following a dispute with a customer over a mask, the wearing of a mask. A DeKalb County Sheriff's deputy was injured, as well as the shooter was also injured. And then today, June the 15th, in Albertville, Alabama, at a fire hydrant plant, an employee opened fire on co-workers and then left the building. Two of these co-workers were killed, two were injured, and the shooter is believed to have taken his own life later on at another location. And that occurred at 2.30 a.m.? Yes. So there's no particular time. There seems to be no particular rhyme or reason in some of these. But now let's talk about some of the causes and some of the factors that contribute to mass shootings. And no, it is not guns. Now, obviously, Mark and I favor firearms. We favor the respectful and mature, cool-headed usage and respect for firearms. So we are pro-gun, if you will. But we have a heavy heart, as does the rest of the nation, when someone misuses a gun. Contrary to some popular belief, guns are not created to kill. The only purpose of any firearm is to thrust a projectile forward and out of the machine itself. Mm -hmm. The gun can make no decision as to how it's used. It's all in the hand of the user. Right. It's an inanimate object. It's just like a hammer, a knife, a club, uh, even rocks or a vehicle. It's an inanimate object. It it doesn't act on its own it power. It does not act on its own. If guns are designed to kill, if guns kill, mine are defective. <laughs> They've not as, killed. As well as the other 160 million that exist just in this country. How about 360 million? Well, that might even be an unofficial but truer figure. Right. And billions, billions of rounds of ammo. Oh, absolutely. So we know that to blame a gun is, in fact, I'm insulted by this on behalf of the victims' families 
because it's saying that a crime has taken place that is not nearly as important as someone's belief in or non-belief in the necessity of firearms. Or their agenda. And it seems like any time there is a mass shooting, especially one that's in a school in, in involves children, that the first thing you hear on the news is how we need more gun control, how we need to get the guns out of the hands of people. Well, surprise, surprise, criminals do not obey the law. They are, by definition, breaking the law. Right. They're not going to go and have a background check. They're going, a lot of them are going to steal the gun that's in their hand. Exactly, exactly. You can buy a Glock on the streets for 50 bucks. Now, you know it's stolen. You know it's very possible to have been used in crimes. But they're there. There is no way that you can get the guns out of the hands of criminals. If you passed a law that we're going to confiscate all the guns, you're only going to get them from a percentage of the law-abiding citizens. Mm -hmm. And then those law-abiding citizens that don't turn them in, they'll become criminals. And the point that I was trying to make, too, and you kind of touched upon that, is it's much more important to me that we address the crime that has taken place, the reasons why someone cracked, snapped, came apart, lost their cool, or however, whatever broke in their life. And we'll get into some of that in a few minutes. We've, mm-hmm. we've got some interesting information on that as well. Do you remember when we were in school back in the 70s, in the 1970s? A lot of our listeners weren't even born until the 90s or even in the year 2000 or later. They're not going to hardly believe this, but when we were in high school in the 1970s, and not just us, but every high school I can think of across mm-hmm. the nation, mostly the young men, but a few girls too, we actually had gun racks in the back windows of pickup trucks, and they had shotguns and rifles, and we drove to school, and there was never not one problem, one. Never. No, and prior to getting my driver's license, I have taken my shotgun to school. Mm-hmm. Now, my cousin and I were going hunting after school. Now, if you took your gun to school and you could leave it in your car, but not being 16 years old, not having a car in the parking lot, I had a gun and a lunch <laughs> sack. Well, you had to turn your gun in at the office. And what you did, you went in there and said, I need to leave my gun, and you propped it up against the wall. And nobody thought the least bit about it. Not at all. They knew you were going hunting. And they knew who you were, and they knew your intentions, and there was never, there was not a school shooting no. in the 70s with no. that. And this was guns. In fact, the teachers and the principals and the administrators, they often admired the firearms because they had them themselves, not necessarily at school. But the point made here is that somehow society has flipped on the the thinking toward what needs to be criminalized and they've decided some have decided that the gun itself needs to be criminalized but give no attention to the criminal or the mental health situation or the real causing factors that need to be addressed that are not being thoroughly addressed exactly now across the years the number of workplace school and public shootings has increased to the point 
that the public has become numb to the news. You're right. We woke up to the shooting in Albertville, Alabama this morning. It, it was on the news, and I read across the headlines each morning, and I stopped and read that story. But at 6 o'clock this morning, it was already on the news, and the first thing I said was, another one. And that, that's where we've come to, is uh-huh. we have gotten numb to the workplace and public shootings. And that kind of complacency is what we want to address in this podcast, and we will get to that. We do not want to be complacent citizens when it comes to our own protection. Exactly, but we've we've become inundated with day after day after day after day of shootings or killings or bombings or stabbings And we've become, sadly, numb to that. Uh Now, if guns, if if it were guns, we would have seen it for as long as guns have been around. Uh But it's not a gun problem. It's a people problem. I mean, what was the weapon used in the first recorded murder? I'm not sure that I know exactly. You're talking about Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel. I'm guessing he picked up a rock. Maybe, it was a rock. Or clubbed him with a big branch or whatever. It was not a gun. It, it was not a firearm. But I guess Mark's point there is that crime and wrongdoing are as old as mankind himself. Right. And so until we enact upon the laws that exist and until we as a society get, get serious about the criminal issues, both the ones that are mental illness and the ones that are just hard-hearted... We're, the, to be criminalizing guns is literally avoiding the problem. Exactly, and and it's not going to do anything about the problem. Case in point, Chicago, Illinois, in the United States, the strongest gun control laws in our nation and has the highest murder rate. Now, what you're including there is a lot of criminal and gang violence where you're not seeing a mass shooting per se in terms of there are what several. you're seeing. You're seeing neighborhood uh, gang I'm, fights. I'm seeing gang fights, uh, you know, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. But the point is very few people legally own firearms in Chicago. Right. Legally. And yet, you and still yet it's the highest Rate rate, of, of highest shootings. rate of shootings in the country. I would probably get sick to my stomach if I saw just a one-year data sheet on the amount of shot dead in Chicago for any reason. Oh. But, I mean, even... Now, when when people talk about gun death, and, the, and some will report so many tens of thousands, tens of thousands, tens of thousands, the data that they're reporting from includes gun gun death of every type, which would include accidental, suicide, and criminal death. And would it also include... um, It's all. All all shoot, even what we call a good shoot. Right. In the protection of another. If it's justifiable justifiable. homicide, it still falls into the the gun Uh violence death. Okay? Uh, Legitimate police shootings fall into that category as well. Uh-huh. Now, the largest percentage of these deaths are suicide. Now, one of the things to look at 
again, it's not a gun problem. Uh, I remember, and, and we, we answer calls, if not daily, multiple times each week on suicide by taking pills, drugs, Certainly. prescribed drugs, over-the-counter medications. The problem is not the guns. This is a whole separate podcast, but we need to address the mental issues that go into suicide. And sometimes mental issues are behind mass active killers, too. It is. It it's got to be. No one in their right mind is going gonna, is gonna to be thinking to do this. Well, true. It's a surprisingly small number of Let's take school shootings and these mass shootings like the Las Vegas with 59 killed and things like that. It's a small percentage of those that have diagnosed mental illness. Interesting. Diagnosed. Right. But we'll see something else in a few minutes. In part, it is mental illness. Now, even if it's not diagnosed, a lot of the folks, and and I'm going through and pulling out a lot of data and boiling it down to short statements. For example, a lot of the shooters, you can use killers, you can use machetes, guns, knives, you know, rocks, whatever. They experience rampant, uh, rampant depression, social isolation, and pathological narcissism. Add to that the stressors of a pandemic, job loss, death in family, uh, in a compressed amount of time, say the year 2020, and right. then what happens? You're smoking in the fireworks factory. Uh-huh. Exactly. That That's what we've done. We, we've got folks that already have mental issues, and then we add these additional uh, pandemic stressors, depression and isolation from the lockdowns, then what happens? Right. It just, it's a powder keg. It's a powder keg. We see large increases in suicide, suicide attempts, and suicide threats. And then threats against others as well. Right. And, and, and I'm just looking at what we are seeing every day. Now, we've seen some murders here recently uh, because of some of this, But and, and I'm talking my department. I don't talk much about our personal calls, but we've seen murders uh, that come from this very, very thing. Now, we're also seeing increased incidents in domestic violence. We are, and and just this year, I can think of two cases right here in Alabama where a disturbed family member got their hands on a number of weapons, and one was a machete attack where he killed and maimed and harmed his own children and other family members. In the other um, unrelated story in another area, it was a gun violence type of death where a family member attacked 
their family members. That's a form of domestic violence. It's mm-hmm. not it's not just necessarily a husband, wife, or boyfriend, girlfriend thing. Any domestic violence is, is violence that's perpetrated against someone in your family or very close to you, someone with whom you have a long standing relationship. There's a very specific list of who mm-hmm. falls who you can have domestic right. violence but with. We're so seeing families just implode. Even dating relationships and mm-hmm. such as that. Exactly. And, and we're seeing a rise in explosive behavior. Hey, did you see the video of that uh, flight attendant on that Delta jet yesterday that wigged out, literally wigged out over a mask debate, dispute really, and the video was the the strong men on the plane had to basically pin the guy in the floor to hold him still so the pilots could land the plane elsewhere. Just the increase in airplane violence. They said it's just off the charts. It's increased something like 2,000% in the last five years. And you don't get much better security than going on to an airplane, even though things do slip through from time to time. But probably the federal courthouse is about the only place got any stronger security Mm -hmm. going into. Just the point being that what's happening is it is as though people cannot control themselves anymore. Right. And, you know, years ago, we were kids. Um, whether it was kids or whether it was adults or was whatever, the outcome used to be a fist fight. Well, sure. You know, it, I mean, there would start just with an argument. Yeah. It would start with an argument and then meet and me it, on the playground at three o'clock. And it would escalate to over a period there, escalate to a fist fight. Now it goes from words to guns. Yeah, it, it just takes the leap, goes from zero to 100. And and people don't possess the skills to be able to, I guess, slug it out and shake hands later. That's usually mm-hmm. what happened when we were kids. We heard about so-and-so was on the football field fighting. They, you know, uh, knocked the daylights out of each other. They both got up, shook hands, and became the best tomorrow, of friends. Tomorrow they were good buddies. And it's just mankind is going to have disputes with each other. We know this. We're not saying that we need to live in a panacea of a world where all like-minded people are living in, you know, rosy-colored glasses and fields of clover. But we people have lost the ability to be able to discourse with one another in a civil and respectful manner. Mm-hmm. They just immediately jump to violent almost like a road rage attitude. At every aspect of their work, their family, their community, their neighborhood, it's it's just getting insane. You know, and it makes you feel like it's happening everywhere. It's happening. Fortunately, most of the population still knows how to get along with one another. What we're hearing is only the bad news. And and granted, I deal with or, or the lower ten percent of life a lot of my time, job related. Okay. I get invited to other people's family fights, things like that. And we've run down a rabbit hole here, but mental illness is a problem with some of these active shooters, active killer situations. Now, let's go to school shootings for just a minute. Here's going to be some surprising information for some of you. The number one factor in school shootings... Let me stop you right there. Here's where people are starting to come up with their ideas. Some people will say, oh, a student's being bullied. Um, A a couple of little lovebirds have broken up. 
Uh, maybe they're failing in school or they've got problems at home. They're, they're trying to come up with those causal type ideas that they think is the reason, the number one reason. But what's the surprising that, number one reason? Those things can figure in. But they're not the number they're one. They're not the number one. Now, bullying can sometimes fit into it. Uh-huh. Isolation can fit into it. But when they get to the point, their number one factor is a, here it is, desire for fame. Yes. They want notoriety at all costs. It's called the contagion effect or copycat phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Because it's happened before. And back in the years of the past, the person's name and identity would somehow make the news. And that's the story now. Exactly. The, the killer. Exactly. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Now, mm-hmm. I, I get burned up about some of this. Mm-hmm. But one shooter sent a 23-page fax to a major news network. What was the 23-page fax? Oh, it was about paper? how he was the victim and how he had to do this and how he planned. He just oh, laid, this was the justification. This was the justification and how he laid it out. Hmm. Now... The media holds some responsibility in this. I agree. Is what you mentioned a while ago. These names get plastered across the news. Now, if you notice, they go for the highest body count they can have. Exactly. I mean, that's it's it's macabre and insulting in a way to think that the media is just hyping the story by by thinking that it's almost like a contest in some right. sick kind of way. And, and and it is with some of these guys. They want to beat the last one. Mm-hmm. They want to be they want to kill more people. They want to injure more people. And that gets them more of the notoriety. Now the Parkland, Florida school shooting. The shooter whose name will not be mentioned here. Not one shooter's name will be mentioned here, even though we know them and have them. And last week I studied the Parkland shooting second by second. Photos, video, diagrams, first-person accounts. And this Parkland shooter made a video that morning that said that he would be famous by the end of the day and everybody would know his name. And that became true in South Florida. For one year or more, you mentioned his name, everybody knew who he was. Very few people could list one victim. Isn't that sad? That's sad. Stop publicizing the killer's names, period. And I have no problem with putting out some details, some facts, but not the names. Names or the face and the image. In no way should they be even reporting the story in the sense of the, the, the gruesome tragedy of it. Right. It's still a form of glorification. Folks, have some journalistic integrity here. Take some responsibility. 
it's okay. And, and I'll tell you this, the Parkland shooter was a white male, 19-year-old former student who had been expelled a year before, and he's awaiting trial now on 17 counts of capital murder. But why do we need his name? Well, that's it'll leak out to the local folks. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, you know Johnny's son did the shooting. Okay, but it let's don't plaster it across the national news. Since we know that the number one factor among active killers is the desire for fame, what we need to do as a society is absolutely vanquish the ability for them to receive that fame. Exactly. That's my point. Uh-huh. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that have come out about um, the profiles of these shooters. Okay? Well, they have, they do, and there's some of them do have some surprisingly similarities. Oh, there's some extreme commonalities through here. You can see that many of them do have failures in their life or if, or maybe some social ineptitude, maybe some academic struggle. At some point, they've got something that is halting or stunting or an interfering with them having what we call a well-rounded personality. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the thing, too, is that maybe the society that we're living in today is trying to raise a bunch of students or kids who don't know how to fail don't know how to process disappointment or rejection. You know, these are the normal things that happen in someone's life, either from one point to another. And I think there's a whole group of kids that have been raised thinking that bad things should never happen to them. And if it does, it's somebody else's fault. Right, and that if if a bad thing happens, that they should respond in an extremely self-centered way, a very egocentric type of a way. And I'm not saying all kids or all young people are this way, but I'm saying the ones that that, that travel on into the area of mental illness, and mental illness itself needs to be destigmatized. A lot of people need to be diagnosed, and they're not, because they still fear some sort of retribution or something, thinking that asking for help or getting help for mental illness is wrong. When it's an illness like any other, if you had a disease or an accident or a broken bone or or a condition for which you would need some medical help, there's no stigma on those things. But for some reason, there still seems to be the stigma about mental illness. And what we as a society need to understand is that we need to address the fact that there's probably way more people out there that have some form of it to some degree and I'm not being joking here. I'm being serious. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, hey, my friend's crazy. But it's yet another thing to say, hey, I have a friend who's really struggling. And I'm not talking just a little bit. I'm saying that, you know, there's this friend of mine that, that they're really saying some disturbing things. And I'm alarmed and I'm upset. Inaction sometimes can be the worst thing. And, and that that's one of the things that have come out of a number of shootings is that the the kids that knew these kids, and, and most of them have been either students or not far past having graduated. Uh-huh. Right. Or either there was the uh, Virginia Tech shooting, and that was a Virginia Tech student. Uh-huh. And there are people that go to class with them. There are people or have gone to class with these folks. 
and they see that and after the shooting it there've been times that somebody said well I bet that was Johnny so and so and it or, they said, out, or, or they've said things like, you know, I always thought that he or she would crack one day, and they did. Well, right. maybe you should have spoke up. Exactly. There's help there. These folks do have mental illness, and interestingly, I found that another commonality is strong psychotropic drugs. Yes, now see, when I was doing some research on your writing here, uh, that that really jumped out at me. And, of course, with with as much investigation as has been going on since way back, I mean, I think we all can remember one of the very most famous first workplace shootings was a postal worker. Mm -hmm. In fact, the the language has changed. People talk about going postal on someone. Mm -hmm. They've actually adopted a linguistic tool to describe, and it's, it's, it's horrible, really, when you think about it. You're taking an an extraordinary national tragedy and making a semantic out of it. But I think we all have it in our memory of the postal worker that um, just, he just snapped and that kind of started the whole workplace shooting. And then there were copycats after that. And they found that psychotropic drugs were either in the system at the time or the person had been using them for a while and maybe suddenly quit and that can be just as damaging because right. your brain cannot put on the brakes. But the research shows that almost all of the high-profile planned mass shootings in the last two decades have been perpetrated by people who were on or who had recently taken and gotten off of strong psychotropic drugs. So that's also a word to the wise because a lot of you listeners out there, you may know someone in your friend circle or your family group, and you may have full-on full knowledge of their psychotropic drug use. And you may be thinking in your heart right now that there, there may have been a close call. And I have no idea what your details might be, but whoever you are that might be listening, and this seems way too close and familiar to you, this very well could be a divine warning. This could be the time to act as now because you may be able to intervene. This is where see something, say something. Uh, we don't want to be one of these where down the road we say, well, I had this suspicion or I always had this fear. Now, and, and we'll come back to some things that we can do, but, you know, bottom line, Evil is running amok in this world. Well, this world is a fallen world. It is. And it's overrun by uh, the, the evil that man can think up to do. And so even those of us who are believers that know that God is in control, and sometimes people have asked, well, where is God when something like this happens? I said, well, you know, you've got to also understand you can't be blaming God for the evil that man chooses to do. Exactly. It's not that God is powerless. And don't you know his heart is grieved when he sees the destruction of his creation, his highest creation, which is man himself. And he sees that man has decided to go on the way of evil and to choose the things that are bad and things that are wrong. And we, you know, they've what was the old saying about the, the worst thing you can do is for a good man to do nothing. Mm-hmm. And that, that in itself can be a form of evil. And I know it takes a lot of courage 
If you're a student, I mean, we've had students as young as fourth grade have the courage to be able to go to an administrator, a teacher, an older trusted friend, a parent, someone, and say, you know, such and such told me not to say anything, but I'm telling you there's a gun in his backpack. And I can't reveal too much information, but that happened not long ago, and it was a young teenage lady that uh, did that very thing. Uh-huh. And averted a school shooting. Absolutely. I, I've, I've, to her credit. We just thank she, God she for that. She saved lives that day. So you, you And this evil, and, and, you know, the God of this world is Satan himself. Well, that's true. He, yeah. He's running amok. And he doesn't care about your feelings. Oh, no. He doesn't care about uh-uh. your feelings. And he doesn't care about anything with you. Uh-uh. And what's happening is that people are being destroyed by demonic efforts, and it is one bite at a time. It's a slippery slope. Uh And one of the things that we're doing is we're desensitizing kids to killing through video games. And also through some television and movie content. Exactly. Let's just be honest. I mean, the violence is there. We've seen it. To a certain degree, I think every single one of us has become somewhat desensitized we see someone get shot on television. We see it. Our mind acknowledges it, but we're not feeling any pain. We're mm-hmm. not seeing any gruesome details. And in the video games, you know, you can play and you can shoot people and you can blow things up. And then when you get killed, the game just starts over. Right. You, you've not really, all you've lost is points. Right. You know, but to actually, and in your line of work, you've seen this, you know what a gunshot looks like. Oh, yeah. you, you've seen the agony and, and terror that comes over someone who has just taken a pretty large hit. Mm-hmm. And you've seen some people survive it, and you've seen some people not survive mm-hmm. it. Let me tell you, this is not kid stuff. This, no. is not a, this is not a game, and it's not something you just bounce back from and smile and try again tomorrow to... But and some games are designed to see how many people you can kill. Exactly, but we've desensitized these kids, and we've glorified the killing through some of the so-called music. Yeah, there's some. Uh, I think a lot of parents out there, if you really understood and read some of the lyrics to some of the pop hip-hop music that's out there today, and, and uh, I'm going to say it, yes, rap music and other forms of music, not just those, but for a long, long time, even back in our generation when we were young, some of the popular music is going to have some lyric content that it should scare the, the absolute daylights out of you to know that your children are absorbing this, mm-hmm. taking this into their mind. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So whatever is going into that mind is going to manifest in some sort of language, behavior, choices, or worse, you know, mm-hmm. elevating to now mass shootings, mass killings. Exactly. Now, back to the mass shootings. We know a lot about mass shootings and a lot about mass shooters, but we really don't have an answer to it. We don't really have a definitive answer of what to do. There's, it's because there's no one thing. It's got to be a group of things. For one thing, good parenting, 
can play a part. And, you know, I raised a daughter, and she is the blessing of my life, and she literally never gave me one minute of trouble. And I thank the good Lord for that, because there's plenty of kids out there that came from really good parents, but they've made some really bad choices. Deal with them all the time. And sadly, the parents grieve more than the the perpetrator, Mm -hmm. because the perpetrator's heart is so hard. So good parenting does not guarantee good kids. But you've got to try to be a good parent. But good parenting goes a lot further than being an absentee parent or a lousy parent or a downright evil parent. Or a... An uninvolved parent, a parent who can be easily snowed, Mm -hmm. kids will snow you. You can be one of those parents that your kid knows exactly the right words to Mm -hmm. say and exactly the right behaviors, and they're pulling stuff behind their back. This happened in the Columbine. Those two young men were literally putting clues about the intentions all over their bedroom. I mean, all you had to do was walk in and see it. The weapons were in the room. There were notepads filled with plans. And if the parent had just, they decided that their sons were old enough young men to live their life, make their own choices. And as long as they weren't causing trouble at home, everything seemed to be fine. And as I understand it, they were pretty average to good students. Mm-hmm. They weren't seemingly on anybody's radar as far as being a bad student. Most, and these most kids, kids were playing their parents. Yeah, most kids looked at them as a little weird. A little but bit other little than different. that. Yeah. Now, one of the things, and we all know that little bit weird kid. When we were in school, we had little weird kids. I was kind of a little bit of a weird kid. Well, I was a nerd. I wore purple bowling shoes almost my whole entire freshman year to high school. You still wear a lot of purple. Well, just not shoes. Okay, but going back. Now, here, here's something that we can do, and you can encourage your kids to do, is to be a friend or at least be friendly to these folks that are a little bit weird. Sometimes these students are the ones that are isolating themselves, mm-hmm. and they may even be a bit gruff as far as wanting to run a new friend off but i think deep down inside i think everyone wants to feel like they belong somewhere Mm -hmm. or around someone they just want to be included and these shooters do not feel included they don't feel empathy they don't feel like they have a friend in the world they feel like the whole school and and back to you know the context of school shootings they feel like everybody in the school is against them uh, nobody likes them nobody talks to them yeah and let me tell you something that we did i used to teach school in a private academy in north carolina it was a small school so we literally knew every one of our students by name from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade now here's something that we did in our academy that in the years that i served in a public school setting i found this to be different here's what i mean we teachers and administrators at the academy we sat at the lunch table with our students and not with the same students every day in other words, teachers in our academy, we didn't have that little teacher's table mm-hmm. off in the corner with our own little conversation going. 
we we recognized early on that we had a small group of kids, which means that we as a, as teachers could make a large impact. And we found at first some of the students, yes, they rolled their eyes when the teacher would come to sit down beside them. But we found that when we mixed it up and we would sit with different students each day, at some point in the course of the 180-day school year, we had sat beside every student in our class dozens and dozens and dozens of times. We really got to know them. They poured their hearts out. They told us some things their parents probably wish they hadn't. Being honest here, students will talk, and they'll let you know what's going on. Now, here's here's what I would like to say. We're asking students to be kind to other students. I'm making a public appeal for educators to do the same thing. Get away from your teacher's lounge table at the lunchroom. Get involved with your kids at lunch. And a lot of people say, well, lunch is about the only time the kid can ever get away from the teacher. Let me tell you something. There's some children out there that are in so much trouble and they're hurting so bad they just about pull every tooth in their head to have a teacher sit down beside them and just say hey what's going on and go sit by that one that's sitting over there by themselves. absolutely there's a reason why they are go find out why they don't feel like they have friends they seem to be socially isolated go be that friend and while you're do- and I'm not talking about you have to run around with them after school and be best buds no. and do what they do pay and all them that. some attention pay them some attention be friendly with them now while you're doing that you can be watching for those red flags yes yeah, sometimes they'll say something or behave in such a way a lot of times it's called trust your gut Sometimes a student can say a group of words, but you know the meaning is deeper or darker. Mm-hmm. And you can you can sense that in your your spirit, in your soul. You can sense it. And sometimes those red flags are definitely there. But so many times we, we act like we want to respect someone's privacy. We don't want to. And I'm not asking you to get up in someone's business and be a busybody and a nosy gossip. But you you may just need to dig a little deeper sometimes. You know, tell me why you said that. What did you mean when you mm-hmm. said, and then repeat back what you heard so that you understand that you heard it, right? Right. Get them to talk. Sometimes all these kids really want is to be able to just open up mm-hmm. and maybe just share some of their pain. And, and, and to know that somebody cares. And, you know, a lot of times to the dignity of these students that are in distress, something can be done. I can tell you there's a lot of secret, good little, what I call Santa elves, for for lack of a better term. Teachers will, they will, they will preserve the dignity of a student who's in real trouble. Maybe something's going on at home and it needs to come to administrative attention and maybe maybe it's a clothing issue maybe it's food i know schools are doing a lot to try to help students but maybe it's something more maybe it's a social problem at home and a lot of times a a, a positive and appropriate beneficial intervention can take place a, away from other students so it's not embarrassing and it's not um indignified and I'll tell you that there are stories where there are many students who have said you know I was going to kill myself today but a teacher 
sat down with me and mm-hmm. just said, hey, I, I can tell something's troubling you, and you don't have to tell me what it is, but I just want you to know I care about you, you're important to me, and I'll, I'll help you if there's a way that I can help you. But you know, a lot of times those uh, red flags get missed or they get ignored, as we were talking about a while ago. And they can be present as early as a kindergartner. Mm. There are children right now as young as four and five years old that are being diagnosed with some mental issues. We've got some clinical depression. And these are things that happen in the body just like any other ailment or condition. And I think the sooner they can be recognized and the sooner they can be treated, the less likely you are to have a problem later on. They need to be identified, be discreet, but they need to be identified. And then there needs to be some type of intervention and treatment if it's needed. All right, we're going to turn here, and now we're going to talk about what can we do as individuals, knowing now that the facts are very clear, that this is a part of of life now, and that we hope this never happens to us, but we have to take our head out of the sand and well, have some situational we've, awareness. We've talked about, we've gone on about 50 minutes about the issue uh-huh. and the history and different looks of the problem. Many of the problems. Now, let's talk about how do we protect ourselves? All of these other things with 255 as of today, and it may be more since eight o'clock this morning, 255 incidents of mass shootings where four or more are injured or killed. We could find ourselves in a situation. What do we do? Let's talk about prior to a shooting starting. Okay. One of the things that we need to do, we've done a podcast on this. We preach it in law enforcement. We preach it. You get it preached to you a lot. And uh, that's situational awareness. Right. Wherever you find yourself, your workplace, your school, your place of worship. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't even mention that. Some of these mass shootings have taken place in places of worship. They have. And, and I just over overlooked that. And I did not see one in 2021. Now not that, in 2021. Now that doesn't not, mean that there right. wasn't one because yeah. that list was so extensive, but... But there, and if there there's was, some Jewish temples it, and some places of worship where that. But when you go into a place, be aware of alternative exits. Be aware yes. of windows that you can break out and get out. Be aware that there's service entrances to just about any place you are. There's always a back door, almost always uh-huh. a back door. They bring the food into the restaurant. They don't bring it through the front door. They bring it through the back door. Something happens, you can go out the back door. Be alert to escalating arguments. I actually witnessed this in a restaurant some years ago in Tennessee, probably four or five tables over where you shouldn't be able to hear the conversation at all. The conversation became voluminous, which is high volume. And it was a man elevating his voice and using very inappropriate language uh, anyway, whether it's public or not, still inappropriate to me. But it soon became quite clear that the young lady at the table was being soundly verbally abused. Mm-hmm. He ne- I, I never saw him lay a hand on the young lady, 
but several of the men in the restaurant, customers, diners in the restaurant, were beginning to lift up out of their seat as the managers and the waiters came over and they escorted the gentleman mm-hmm. outside. We didn't see him again. Now, but that who who knows what could have happened. True. Now you're more likely to have a shooting when it's two folks that don't know each other. Like some sort of a, a dispute, in, rage a dispute kind of thing in a bar. You oh, spill sure. my beer. Yeah, yeah, you you stepped on my shoes. So you pushed me. Point is, an escalating argument is a red flag. It may be time to go to the restroom. Right. Yeah. We're we're strongly going to advocate for you not getting all up in it. If you've got a way to get away, get away. Exactly. We're going to get there in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Another thing is be alert to the sounds of gunshots. Anything that sounds like gunshots is to be considered gunshots until it's proven otherwise. And they sound different inside a building than outside a building. Yes, and whether you're inside and they're outside or you're outside and they're inside, <laughs> don't try to distinguish. Don't don't stand there and say, "Was that fireworks?" That sounded did that sound like fireworks? Did that to sound you? like gunshots or did that sound, it if you're going to ask that question, <laughs> it's time to start It's moving. time to start doing something. <laughs> right. Now, so we're going to go into this with situational weight. Blah, blah, blah. We're going to go into this with situational awareness, but we're also going to have a survival mentality. And what is a survival mentality? That is saying to yourself and meaning it, I will survive at all costs. Mm-hmm. And that survival mentality, you're expecting the unexpected, and you've already mentally prepared yourself to act if it is in defense of yourself or your family. Now, I know the natural impulse for a lot of people is to freeze in their panic, mm-hmm. inaction. You've seen this in your your uh, experience as a law enforcement officer. Many times uh, someone's maybe recounting a story to you of, of uh, them being a victim of an attack or something like that, and their words are, I just absolutely froze with fear. I was paralyzed with fear. And I think the human body, the human brain, sometimes wants you to just, it's that stop, look, listen attitude. Mm-hmm. But when you have to, when, you're, when your mind and your ears and your eyes or whatever your senses are telling you that, hey, that sounds like an attack may be taking place or that sounds like uh, a dangerous situation may be brewing, you don't have the luxury of time to sit back in your chair and relax, put your feet up for about a couple of hours ago. Let me ponder on this for a little while. Let me think it all the way. You, you've got to get up and go. And the way that you do that is through training. You can train not to have that tunnel vision. You can train not to freeze. In law enforcement, we talk about getting off the X. Move. Get off of where you're standing. Mm-hmm. The X marks the spot. The X kind marks of thing. the spot where Get I am. Get X. off of it. Mm-hmm. Go for cover. Go for concealment. Move. Do something. But you can train to have that survival mentality. All comes down to having a plan. And that plan, and this is a, a good plan, is run, hide, fight. Now, in this, we're not talking about those who are trained to run to the sound of gunfire. We already have a plan. If you find yourself 
in an active killer situation. The first option, and generally the safest option, statistically, would be to run, and basically what I'm saying is, get the heck out of the place where you are mm-hmm. to another place. Don't hesitate. Seconds count. And we talked about this once before. If you're sitting in a restaurant, don't say, well, I can't leave till I pay my bill. If something happens, get out of there. If it turns out to be nothing, we can come back and pay the bill. Yeah. I mean, don't don't let an almost ridiculous thought cost you your life. Exactly. Evacuate in a direction, if at all possible, away from where you perceive the attacking mm-hmm. to be taking place. Mm-hmm. If, if the attack is to your right, don't run to your right. And ladies, run to the left. Don't worry about finding your purse. Leave your belongings behind. Don't waste time gathering things. Whatever is in your purse, and I don't care what it is, if you're carrying the Hope Diamond, <laughs> one, you got another problem there if you are. Yeah, the Smithsonian's going to want to talk to you. They're coming after you. Uh-huh. But whatever is in your purse is not worth dying over. No cell phone, no Nothing. photograph. No money, no credit card, no, no nothing, nothing and, in and, your possession is and worth dying for. If this becomes an active killing situation, that scene is going to get locked down for a little while while it's yeah. processed. Okay, now you'll eventually get your stuff back, but you're not going to be able to say, "Well, I need to go in there and get my purse." You can get your purse later, ma'am. That's right. You just you, you've got to re- reprioritize what's really valuable. Exactly. Your life. Get out of dodge. If you're in a restaurant, leave your purse. Don't worry about paying for your meal. Run through the kitchen to that mm-hmm. back door, Mark was talking about, because I can guarantee the kitchen staff's probably already beat you to it. If shots are being fired, except for those that just freeze. And then once you start running, don't stop running until you know you are in a safe location. Okay, so that's the first part of the plan is run. Now, When the option is there, yeah. run. What if running is not an option? What am I going to do now? Well, there are times that the only way you could run would expose you to the shooter. Or your route to an exit might be blocked. Mm-hmm. You can't run. So what's your next option? Hide. Hide. See, what we have found is that attackers shoot what they can see. Yes. If they can't see you, they don't shoot you. So sometimes, you know, hiding under a, a, an executive desk. Well, going, hiding in a restroom. A restroom, a room a closet. closet um, even sometimes crouching behind a file cabinet. If it mm-hmm. gives you the appropriate amount of cover and there's no other window or anything where you can be seen, that very well could be what saves that your That would life. actually be concealment because, remember, cover stops bullet. Oh, concealment I'm Concealment hides is actually you, hiding. Okay? And here we want to not be seen. Now, if you go into a closet or something and you do have your cell phone with you, Lock and barricade the door if you possibly can, and silence your telephone. Yeah, you don't want it ringing. You don't now want you, it ringing. You're giving yourself away. Now, you can call 911. You can whisper into the phone, or, and a lot of people don't know this, if you have to, just remain silent. Dial 911, 
turn the volume down so nothing, no voice can be heard. Nothing can be heard. They can hear, and they are trained to be listening. The call will give them the location or the approximate location of the cell phone. Exactly. And if you've got two or more people in there, they're pretty well narrowing down, and I don't mean in the same room with you. I'm talking about in the same situation. If they're getting multiple calls, they have pretty well narrowed that down to where the problem is. Mm -hmm. The best intelligence in a situation like this is what comes from inside. If you are able to whisper into your telephone, tell them what you have. But they are trained to listen and pick up details, and they will pass that on to the approaching officers. Three of us were going in on a domestic argument, and that domestic argument escalated, and then the dispatcher told us she had heard shots fired. So now we've got reliable information, not what she was told, but she told us what she heard. So that changes your thinking going into the situation. Right, there's no hesitation. There's, you're, well, you're doubling down. Well, you, you've, you've changed this from a domestic argument in your mind to a shooting. Whole different ballgame. Exactly. And, you know, you're always looking out for your own safety, but in this case, it just changes your your intelligence, causes you to think a little different. We were talking uh, on another podcast about visualizing, and that's what it does. It changes your visualization of the scene before you get there. Okay, so let's say you're hiding with a group of other fellow co-workers, friends, or maybe just strangers in the bank or what have you. You want to maybe form some kind of a, an alliance so you understand each other is not the threat. Mm -hmm. But you, there may be three or four or five of you that have now assembled together in your hiding. And, you know, you just everyone's got to keep a clear, cool head. I know it's hard, and, but you got to just stay in control of yourself. And now's the time to make a plan. Right, because this may lead you to the final option. Right. Which is to... Fight. To fight. And fight like the third monkey on the ramp to Noah's Ark, and it's starting to rain. Right. Now, when we're talking about fighting, you need to understand that you are fighting for your life. It's not a time to think about a fair fight. You need to utilize whatever advantage you can master or muster to your uh, ability. The one goal is win. Yeah, I mean, I don't care what you can put your hands on, if, if you can, if you can lift it and throw it and clonk an attacker in a head, and perhaps knock them out for sixty seconds, that sixty seconds you can use to your advantage to get to safety. Get to safety, or if you clonked him out and he's unconscious for sixty seconds, duct tape his hands behind him. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of things you can do there, but be prepared as a last option to have to fight. Unless you are properly trained, do not go looking for the fight. Right. Don't get this old Western thing, you know, bow up your chest and I'll go put an end to this. Uh, sometimes it's best just to exercise proper judgment. You don't want to get yourself killed. Trying to be all brave. Trying and to be macho. the hero. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's not, it, there's, there's no time for that. There's mm-hmm. no sense for that. And as a last resort, again, if you're not armed, you've got to improvise weapons. Look around. Can you lift a, a wall-mounted fire extinguisher? Oh, those are wicked um, weapons to use Is there anything situation? you could use as a form of a club, a, a pole, a uh, you know, can you break a leg of a chair? I mean, it's you know, start thinking survival mode, and you'll find that a lot of ordinary looking things. I mean, if you're in a, you happen to be stuck in a music room and you're surrounded by guitars, I'd be picking up a guitar and I'd be clonking somebody, that, an attacker, on the head with it. Who cares about the guitar? That can be replaced. Oh yeah. Now you mentioned the fire extinguisher a while ago. That is a tremendously good impact weapon. But if you discharge that fire extinguisher in the face of an attacker, he's out of the game for a bit. Oh, what does it do? Cause well, it's- if it's powder, just, just imagine a blast of that powder Ugh. in his face. It, yeah. just, it just took his mouth out, took his nose out, took his eyes out. Uh-huh. If it happens to be carbon dioxide, uh, you have frozen his nose oh you dear so, okay. I mean, and, and you can clonk him with it all kinds of things now let's get a little bit graphic here we're talking about fighting for our life uh-huh. okay if you're in an office a pair of scissors is not a bad weapon that can be used as a weapon and don't be afraid to use all of your might put, it, put you, it in their neck put it in their letter neck letter opener we're talking justifiably Fighting for your life. You lose this fight, you are dead. So we want you to survive. We dead absolutely want is you to survive. Permanent. All right. Now, after the fracas, when it's safe, if you can, stop bleeding. If you're bleeding, do what you can to stop your bleeding. If you can safely help others, do that. That's why some of us carry tourniquets all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we can stop you can save lives with tourniquets but you can also put pressure and hold pressure on that apply a tourniquet apply pressure because uncontrolled bleeding kills yeah it's it's called bleeding out it's bleeding out and, and it's permanent all right now at some point law enforcement is going to arrive now there's some things you need to do here when law enforcement arrives keep a cool head well, keep a cool head. Yeah, don't freak out and go running up and throw your arms around the office. No, just keep a cool head. And this is time to take it slow, okay? Slow. Keep, keep your hands raised and visible. See, they don't know who the good guys are and the bad guys are. That's exactly right. There was a shooting in a mall in Birmingham, and there were people present in the mall who were legal, bona fide, trained, concealed carry and then there was an active killer using a gun. And so law enforcement came in, and it got a little confusing for a minute on, okay, who's the good guy with the gun and who's the bad guy with the gun? Because they're all plain clothes. And the wrong guy got shot. And Yeah, and so this is the time to, you, you've got to understand that law enforcement is coming in, and they're at DEFCON 1. I mean, they are on like full-on, it's happening we are, adrenaline is pumping, maybe way worse than yours might be, and you've already been in the thing. So the law enforcement, is they have to gather information, and they've got to gather it quickly, concisely, and with no 
issue in terms of communication. So you right. keep your hands raised and keep visible. Keep them visible. If you do have a weapon that you have been able to neutralize the situation or whatever, do not have that weapon in your hand. No, because if I were law enforcement, Just what am I thinking? There's my shooter. Weapons are in the hands yeah. Of the bad guy. Put your is weapon. What you're put your weapon down and preferably have it, before they come through the door. Keep your hands raised keep and have them hands empty. Exactly, and comply with all commands. I don't care how stupid it is to you. There's a reason for it. It's very possible that you're going to be told to get on the floor. It's very probable that in that situation you're going to have guns pointed at you by the good guys. But they're still sorting out. They're still okay? sorting out. And if you're a good guy, the good guys are not trying to hurt you. But they don't want to get hurt by the bad guy. The the attacker still may be active exactly. in the um, location. Mm-hmm. And so they've got to sort of go with the first things first. And they've got to make sure. If they tell you to lay down on your stomach and put your folded fingers behind your scalp, you know, like praying hand style. Just do it. Comply with law enforcement because when you comply, they see it and they know you're not the problem. And we have a way of sorting folks out as we get them out. If there's a possibility of still being an active attacker in there, we have a way of bringing them out. We have a way of identifying who. And if you've seen video of some of these school shootings where they're evacuating the building, all of these kids are coming out with their hands up. And sometimes fold fingers crossed over their head. Right. Just just to identify them as these have complied with my order, well, they're not causing trouble. Hands are what people use to hurt you. And so keep those hands visible. And this is probably a good time to just be quiet. Don't don't start It's not time to start telling your story. It's not time yeah. to start telling them what happened. Unless you know the location or the description of the shooter. Yeah, that's very important Then advise the officer. Uh-huh. The shooter is in that other room. The shooter is wearing you know, and give them a red that jacket, blue jeans that, or whatever. Exactly. Uh-huh. It's a good time to be quiet, but advise them if you know the location or the description of the attacker. It's not time to start telling them what all happened. Or what you need or what's important to you. Because uh, oddly oddly enough, you're actually not the primary person uh, in the unless story Unless you've yet. got blood running out, you don't need anything right now. Don't right. tell him you need. Now, if you've got blood running out, I'm shot, I need help. Yeah. You have and to, they'll, they'll get that help for sensible. you. Be yeah. sensible. All right. After the event, we've gone through it. We've gotten out alive. Thank God. Thank God you're alive because you've you've got to fight for your own life and for those that depend upon you. We really want you to understand that this is not the time to act unselfish about your life. We want you to be the most selfish you've ever been mm-hmm. about your life and your safety. And even if you get hurt, even if you get injured, if you're still alive, that is the most important thing that you can do is to preserve yourself and your safety. And come out the door thanking God that you're alive. And then when all this settles down, go seek some professional help. Yes. You know, if you've just been through a trauma to this degree, you may feel like, oh, I'm fine. I'm okay. 
I'm cool, I'm all right, let's just go on with life. You you may you you may really want to rethink that because you've just been through probably the most severe even, trauma of your life. Even if you don't think you might need a little help, go seek help. You might just need to sit down and talk with somebody just to know that you've done what you could. A lot of law enforcement agencies today, and it's a good thing, if an officer is involved in a shooting, he shot someone or he's been shot, mandatory that he goes or she goes he or she goes for the professional counseling and i think our department is like three sessions non-negotiable you will go talk to the counselor and it might be just you know i'm doing fine everything's okay but sometimes these these counselors are professionals. They, they know how to do. They this. may be able to identify some unresolved fear or survivor guilt or other issues that maybe you haven't even been able to articulate just yet. But they may be able to identify an element in this, your thinking or your your maybe this, you're having trouble stuff, sleeping. This stuff has a way of having serious effects. And we're here to tell you that that's a normal thing, and and the help is there. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to get it. So go get it. All right. We've gone a lot longer than we've ever gone on a podcast. It's a very serious topic. It's a very serious topic. I hope you've stuck with us. I hope you've gotten something out of it. I hope you never, ever have to use it. But if you do, remember, run, hide, fight. And if you have to fight... Fight like your life depended on it. Fight like your life depends on it, because it does. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the podcast today, and please leave us a five-star review. That helps more people be able to hear this podcast. Share it with your friends and family. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. Email at info at practicalprepping.info, and our website is practicalprepping.info. And as always, remember... Stuff happens. Stay prepared.